Um, I asked Lou to um, share on prayer, and I asked her to do that because um, I feel like she really has some insight. You know, it makes sense to me that if prayer is not my strength, for somebody else that it is their strength to pray or to teach on that. And so that's what we're doing. And I'm hoping by doing this that we set a pattern for doing these gatherings a little differently than church normally does. Because church has this demand that, you know, the guys that are in charge or whatever are always the ones teaching. But they're often not the most knowledgeable people within that body. And so I really have been impressed that Blue has walked through uh, a place in her life where prayer is more than an activity. And so I want that. And that's the reason I've asked her to come, because I want us all to have that. I I know I want it. I want to grow in this area, and I believe that Blue can help us do that. So she's going to bring tonight a a testimony, and then each week in the coming four or five weeks, six weeks, something on prayer, a little snippet, just to begin to to draw us deeper into the the life of what prayer is about. So I'm sorry to to delay. Not a problem. Robert asked if I would share a little bit of testimony, so... Anyway, Mike and I, you know, we've, we've known Robert outside the church setting. We knew him through the farm and through the auction. Um, Mike and I, as y'all, y'all know, that we've been removed from institutional church uh, for about five years. Uh, I left as an administrative pastor about that long time ago and, and just decided that, uh, decided that the Lord was moving us somewhere else. And over the last five years, he has deepened our walk and he has deepened our relationship with each other. And he's been very, very gracious to give us another insight on what church really is for us. And in regard to prayer, my personal prayer language um, and the way I saw it began to change about 13 years ago. Um, when we first got pregnant with Judah, it was a struggle. We had to do all of the things to, you know, to get that. And there was difficulties with that. But about 13 years ago, uh, we uh, were blessed with conception again. And uh, just because of the fallen nature of the flesh, I know I no longer blame myself, but um, complications came with that, and in a bigger degree, I was hospitalized, and I was sedated, and I poured myself into the deep praying that I had been taught. And I had started to pray things like, if you have faith, God will heal. Well, I had faith. If you pray believing, I believed. You stand on the scripture, I quoted every verse I could find that agreed with what I needed. Uh, remind God of his word. Stand on the wall and tell him what he says he'll do. You know, well, I said that, and I said, and your word will not return void. And miracles still happen. I mean, I constantly said that. God is a God of healing. Through the stripes of Christ, I'm healed. He will never forsake you. He's always there. I mean, we've all heard these things, and we've said them many, many times. I prayed them, I prayed them all. You know, I I cried out to my God. I praised his name. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was a Christian crying out to a faithful God. And at 27 and a half weeks, we were struggling. Um, The doctors did all that was left to do. And at 11.20 a.m. on May 17th, our daughter Josiah was born. And uh, a lifetime touched my family's hearts. Excuse me. <clears throat> For three hours and six minutes. Anyway, <clears throat> at 2.26, she entered the kingdom of heaven. And my flesh struggled severely with my faith. Anyway, July 1997, we were blessed again with conception. But again, my body was weak. 
Jeremiah Grant was stillborn on December the 13th after a car accident on an icy road because of complications. But anyway, <clears throat> during those times, I fell back on the teachings of my youth, and my faith struggled so bad with my, my flesh, but I was a bulldog. I wanted to be a Christian. I was not going to fail God. I was going to be faithful. And then my son and my husband and my God broke through the wall that I had built up, trying to be this good, strong Christian person. And the years of crying were weighing really hard. He was six years old. And he put his little fat hands, chubby little hands, <laughs> on my face. And he said, Mimi, what can I do to fix you? And the voice of God, I realized at that moment, spoke through the love of my child. And my world and the bondage that I placed myself in was broken because of that love. And I finally heard what God was trying to say for so long. He said, I love you. Let me fix this. But through my pretense of being a good Christian and doing the religious thing, and I hadn't really prayed to God. I prayed. I prayed at God. I prayed at Him in anger and in hurt and in arrogance, and I demanded of Him, and I was the hindrance to my own prayers. I was the only one getting in the way. So anyway, as I mentioned earlier, my prayers began to change. And I realized a new level of love God had for me. And, I mean, we've all heard it before, you know. Uh, but now I know it. God is my father. Now I still can't call him daddy. That's not my thing. But he's my father and I am his child. And the love I have for my kids is only a glimmer of what he has for me. And it amazed me. And you talk about, I, you know, I look at my kids and I tolerate so many things, but I can't even imagine how much tolerance and, and irritation and frustration and joy and compassion, all that stuff that he has with me daily. You know, because my, my little mind just goes all over the place, you know. But it's a good thing because he's my father. <laughs> he has to tolerate me. Um, anyway, the teaching I received as a child about praying, those were great teachings. They were great scriptures to fall back on and a great process to walk through. But the thing that I realized is that although, although I, I knew God and I had heart knowledge of him, I had a whole lot of head knowledge. And the problem that I had is I wasn't going into a maturity. I was, I was staying with that little bit of heart knowledge, and I was getting a lot of head knowledge, but my heart wasn't maturing. And so now when I pray, it's different. It's personal, it's relational, and it's conversational. And when I pray now, if you have faith, God will heal. To me, this means that no matter what the outcome is, God heals, period. That's all there is to it. <clears throat> If you pray believing, it means believe that his heart knows the best for all, in all things, period. Stand on the scripture means that I stand on the entire word of God, on Christ, because he is my foundation. Remind God of his word means I do not demand of my God. I, thankful, I am so thankful to him that he is everlastingly gracious and faithful to me. Miracles still happen, it's confirmed in my life, my daughter Eden is a testament of the delight of my God. Because a body of fallen flesh and the law of man cannot stand against the heart of my God for me. God is a healing God, is confirmed in Jediah. He walks, he talks, he sits and laughs and giggles and slices and dices and actually sees. <laughs> but um, anyway, and he will never forsake you is a triumphant call from my lips to anybody that's around. And I always say period at the end because... A period always follows a declarative statement. And what began to change in me was my heart, and it began to transform in maturity in Christ, 
My mind knew intellectually of God, but my heart now knows and experiences God daily, intimately. He's my daily bread, and that's a big period. As I said earlier, the last five years, the eyes of our family have been open to the different side of the church that we've not seen. Um, for our family, the church is our family. It's my family. It's personal, and it's very possessive. The family of God isn't a church building, and it isn't a people. The family of God is everyone, whether they know God is the Father yet or not. And don't let us forget anybody. He desires everybody to come back into relationship with him. And my hope and expectation is that we begin to become a praying people for the family of God. And in the next few weeks, I hope to offer some equipment for you to have a deeper personal understanding of God and your prayer conversations with the Father for his people. So, with that, what I'd like to do is to open up in a small discussion on what you've been taught about prayer, what you expect out of prayer, and what it means to you. And there's no wrong or right answer. Um, but this is a time to be really honest to yourself and with yourself on what you expect in prayer. So. The floor is open. First off, thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. I know that's not easy. It isn't. Thank you very much. You made the comment that uh, you prayed to God and at God, and then you learned to pray. <laughs> your, your testimony must be <laughs> uh, touching because uh, what I have to say is not tearful to me, but it, to me, I've, I've always recently just came to the understanding that uh, it's not what I pray because I have the Holy Spirit. And consequently, God hears what I, my heart wants to say, in spite of me. But but you made the comment that you learned that, and I, I don't know, maybe it's my lackadaisical attitude that I, I have nothing to learn because even in spite of me, through his grace, he hears what my heart is supposed to say even though I don't say it. Can you tell me where I'm wrong? <laughs> no, I think you're, I think he's showing you, I mean, there's something in your heart that's, that's awakening, it's quickening to what he's wanting to say to you so that you look at it as a different thing. And realizing that, yes, it is the grace of God that covers us all, but it's, it's that intimate part of understanding and knowing what you want to pray, I think is what's, what's big for me. You know, sometimes I don't know how to pray, but most of the time my prayer is just like this. It's not on my knees at the foot of my bed or in a prayer closet or, you know, it's not. It's sitting at the kitchen table. It's standing in Walmart with a girl railing at me last night, attacked for no reason, verbally abused. And I'm standing there saying, Lord, why am I not running? Why am I not moving? And it's, it's just those weird little things. So. I think we all pray in different ways, too. And our understandings are different, too. Um, I mean, we each have our own, um, our own 
way of thinking of things and how to do it. And, I mean, we're all different. So I think, you know, Blue's different way of praying than yours and mine, Kathy's and Doug's. I mean, we're all, you know, I think that's, but I think he, he hears each and one of us, each and every one of us, no matter what, how we do it. It really is a journey. And I think that we're in different places, but we're also experiencing different things in that. But the point being is that it's 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 a lot more than what generally is assumed that prayer is. We've made prayer a thing way too often. And I think that the journey that you have been on is taking you to a place where it's totally different. Uh, and Tim, I think you're experiencing and expressing an understanding that you're totally reliant on God. Even if you fumble, and even if you struggle, He is our faithful Father. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty profound. And I'm excited to grow in this area. Because it's such an essential, it's such a foundational thing. Um, any other comments on prayer? I've always had a hang-up and I've, I've waited for growth and maturity to get past it. You know, you think back to all the Sunday school lessons and all the things that you're, you're told. And I don't know why I cannot seem to get past this one little, this one thing, this one lesson that was taught to us. We were in, gosh, I don't know, adult one maybe, adult two, and it was a deacon teaching our class. And, um, <clears throat> and he said two things that have stuck in my head and I can't get rid of them. Uh, Satan hears what you say in your prayer and will use it against you. So that it's better mm. to speak a prayer not out loud. And the other thing is, uh, you know, God can take what you say and twist it in a way, in an unexpected way. So to be very careful with what words you say because you can't just converse with them. It's, it's said in a certain way, and, and so that's made me think, oh, well, you know, I don't even just keep it surface, you know, surface level, because he's going <laughs> to twist what I'm saying, and, you know, nana, nana, I'm going to get you this way. And I've never been able to get past that. My, my immediate comment is, did that deacon offer you scriptural references for his positions on either one of those points? I, don't remember that he's I will guarantee you he did not. <laughs> because neither one of those are scriptural. I will tell you that Christ himself is the advocate that stands before the Father. And everything that we offer up goes right through him. It's covered. He's the mercy seat. So everything that, everything that comes up from us goes through the blood of Christ and becomes pleasant and beautiful before the Father. So there is nothing that you can pray when you're praying with your heart and your desire for the Father to hear you that Christ will not fix before it gets there. So, I mean, if you're saying, Dad, God, my toe hurts because I just stumped it. That goes, I mean, that's a, for me, that's a prayer. Because I want quick healing, Father. You know, because my toe hurts. Um, so those things that for anybody to tell you to pray in silence is, to me, a very unscriptural thing because the spoken word is what created the world. And the word of God is Christ himself. 
And scripture is full of examples of spoken prayer. Uh, Jesus spoke his prayers out loud. Uh, and I would say that scripture is also full of uncareful prayer. Read the book of Job. Read uh, Psalms. There's no care. There is a heartfelt, hey, this is where I'm at, God. I'm mad at you in some cases. I don't like what you've done. Uh, have you deserted me? Uh, no, no one is for me. Everyone has turned their back against me. I mean, just gut-wrenching honesty that never offended God, nor did he use it against them. You know, and I think what you, you also, the other thing that, that comes to play here is, unfortunately, the gentleman that taught this doesn't understand the character of God. That is that, I mean, the representation of his nature is certainly not in that teaching. That he's just waiting for you to, to say something that he can turn and twist. That's not God's nature. That's not who he is at all. Um, so, he wants conversation. I mean, he, yeah. He, wants, he, he looks for you in the cool of the evening. You know, yeah. he searched for Adam in the garden just to conversate. You know, but the thing is, is realizing that those teachers of the past have been have been taught under a a religious uh, system, mm -hmm. and to realize that to break free from that freedom, give them that grace too, you know, to to realize that they've got the wrong teaching and they've they've been tenacious and held on to it. But um, the careful religious prayers is is a it's a scary thing. And 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 being raised a Baptist, I mean, hellfire and brimstone was what brought me into the kingdom at the age of five. You know, I didn't want to fry, so I was like, yes, I want to take the one. You know, but um, it's also the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. But there was such fear promoted at a time earlier in the, in the 1900s for us. And so for us to understand careful and religious is what gets us in trouble. We have to be uh, carefree and, and relational with God instead of careful and religious. Even childlike. Exactly. You know. We're commanded to be childlike in those in those ways. I think this is a good segue. Uh, I'm going to turn the lights on. Uh, I want to share quickly. I, I really would like to have about an hour and a half to, to talk about something here tonight, but I don't have the time to do that. Uh, I want to give you a, kind of the, my, get my game plan here, and I, I believe this is what God has laid on, on my heart, and I'm looking for confirmation as we walk through this, but... Uh, we're going to take some basics. Blue's begun us on prayer here tonight, and we're going to we're going to we're going to lay foundation every week with that. A little bit of foundation each week, and try to strengthen our understanding and our knowledge, but also our practice of basic Christian disciplines. And uh, so, prayer is obviously one of those. We're going to talk down the road about fasting. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about worship. Uh, and and we'll and I and I'd hate to enumerate very many because I think it'll depend on what God wants us to do. And I have, I also think and, and I want to talk to you just I'm going to give myself 30 seconds. I'm going to look at the clock. I'm going to talk about the dynamic of how I believe church ought to be. I think that if uh, you know, what happens in a typical church, Mike may hear me say something or, or hear me not say something and be irritated by that for you know, a little while. And he'll, he'll store that away and, and then over the next month or two or a year, he'll notice, well, you know, he never talks about this or he always points in this point of view. Well, you know, we tend to think of that as bad. And so what happens normally in the church is Mike will go home and stew on that. Not that you would, Mike, but uh, a lesser mature Christian would do that. And, and so let's call George. <coughs> we know Mike would do that. So George would go home and stew on that. 
and, and it would fret about it, and, and then finally it would bring maybe even some separation relationally, uh, some contention, maybe even ultimately bitterness, because if he felt it brought dysfunction into the church. Here's the irony of that. It's very likely, in my opinion, that what the reason Mike is sensing that is because God's speaking to him. Because he's wanting this group to, 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 to benefit from Mike's point of view or George's point of view or whoever it is. And so what I'd like to do is, is create a, a, a way for us to facilitate that. So that when, when my inadequacies are obvious, that you will feel those inadequacies and vice versa. Because I think that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. But understand that that's diametrically opposed to how we usually do church. You know? And so uh, I want to talk about, and, and, and I want to share a phrase with you. I think that what we've begun tonight, what we're talking about here, and maybe I'm a little too harsh, but what I'm, 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 I'm going to say that where, where I'm not headed or where I want to come against is a thing called recreational Christianity. And I believe uh, that, that we live in a world of recreational Christianity. And what do I, I mean by that? Well, what is recreation to you all when I say the word recreational? Luxury, easy going. Easy going, okay. Playtime. Playtime. <laughs> Entertainment. Entertainment. Not Doug doesn't really have any. Not serious. Not serious. Okay. <laughs> Fun. And, and all of these really point to, to one common denominator. Who are they about? Us. About me. Okay. And I think that this is the infection of the church today. Is that we are a very me-focused recreational Christian people. And, and, and I don't want to be too harsh, but even in the sense of the good things that we do, if you think about it, well, our church is going to offer a great marriage series. It'll make your marriage so much better. It'll just do wonders for your marriage. But the reality is, what I, I need in my marriage is Christ. You know, and so it may or may not do me a lot of good in the kingdom of God. You may give me some great communication skill uh, to, to add to that, some, some good uh, foundations, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the point being this, do, do you see how that reflects the me-central focus? And I think what we're seeing in the church today, I, I listen to a number of the podcasts that are out there, and I believe that God is doing something. I believe that he's changing that focus. Because I, I believe that a lot of the people that are just really preaching God's kingdom, they're preaching the word of God, it's, it's sounding deep into those believers and those people that would have a heart to hear that. And I believe that God is changing us and he's beginning to say, okay, I'm finally tired of the recreational Christianity. And I am too. And I, and I, I will say this, is, and that's a challenge for me because I am a, a recreational guy. And I, I've, I've, I've been in the church, the church, so long, I am still very much wired that way. But I believe that, that that's where he's taking us. So what, what I want to say to you from, from what leadership I bring here, I'm going to say, I'm going to try my best to not be recreational. Now that doesn't mean we can't have fun, we're going to have parties, and, and think, that's not the point. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, it, it's not me-focused, it's him-focused. Because he is our God. And, and there, that's profound. And the church has forgotten to make God God. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Now I'm going to teach through the, the life of Jesus. 
I'm going to borrow from different Gospels and different things. I'm going to mix it and match it. Uh, right now, I've, I've taught a couple weeks out of Luke because Luke talks about the early life of Jesus. We're going to transition here in another couple of weeks to a different Gospel because it, it emphasizes another part of Jesus' life. But what I want us to do is look at Him. He's our Lord. He's our Christ. And I want to learn about His character, about His nature, and about His priorities. And, and even tonight, He's not even here really yet in, in the scene, in the sense of, of, of he's, he's an embryo. He's an infant in the womb in this story now. We're going to go to the first chapter of Luke. and We were there a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this amazing thing that God did uh, with this man, uh, Zachariah, his wife Elizabeth, and this young girl, Mary, and how they reacted so differently to the same angel coming and giving them news that God was about to do something. One was very me-focused. Zachariah was, well, it's about stinking time, and I don't believe it. And Mary was very, you focus, God. Whatever you have said about this maiden, I'm going to accept. Whatever you want, I'll accept. Do you see the difference? You see the me focus versus the God focus in that? So tonight we're going to take a quick look. I'm watching the clock. I know we've got good food to eat. I want to get that done. Uh, but I want to share with you, and then I want you to share with me. <laughs> this is profound. And we're going, to, we're going to learn, even before the coming of Christ and his birth, we're going to learn that the character and the nature of God is already teaching us about who he is. And remember that every Bible story is ultimately about him. It really is not about us. It's revealing, even those that appear to be totally about some guy, they really are revealing something about God and about his nature. And so in the, in the first chapter, and I'm going to begin in the 39th verse, that's where we stopped last time. And if you want to go there, you can do that and read along. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, here's, here's the story. Elizabeth is about five, six months pregnant. Mary has just found out she's pregnant. We don't have any reason to believe that Elizabeth even knows that Mary is pregnant yet. And if you think about the distance between Nazareth and Judea, Nazareth is way, way up in Galilee. Uh, uh, Elizabeth, we don't know what town, but she's down in the Judean area, which would be Jerusalem or south. So, I mean, in those days, 30, 40 miles probably is what we're talking here. I mean, that's a long, long way. It's no telegraph, there's no telephone, no cell phone. So there's, it's very likely that as Mary walks into this home, Elizabeth has no idea what's happened in her life. And if you think about it, Elizabeth's probably pretty consumed with what's going on in her life. Because as we looked into the scripture a few weeks ago, God doesn't tell us how old she is, but he does say this, she is near as dead. And whatever that is, I mean, what is near dead? I don't know. But I, and I think he's probably referring certainly to her womb, that this is a miraculous thing that God has done. But she's old. She is an old person. And here's Zechariah because the angel sealed his mouth. I still get this picture of the angel reporting back to God and saying, well, how did it go with Zechariah? And the angel says, well, not really very good. Uh, he didn't believe me, and I got a little ticked off, and I've sealed his mouth. You know? and, and, and I can just imagine God going, that's cool. <laughs> I have no problem with that. And, and, and honestly, it's working right for God's plan. This is exactly what he wants to have happen. Uh, in, the, in the sense of things. So, now she walks in, so she, she is uh, coming to Judea, and in verse 40, when she, where she enters Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Awesome! And then, get, get what she says here. 
Uh, and in a loud voice, she explained, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is your child you will bear. Already, some God's doing something. The Holy Spirit is doing something in this situation. And then she goes on in verse 43, But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Wow. Not only does she now know that, a, that Mary is bearing a child, she knows he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Now, for those, those pro-life among us, we won't go into this. That's huge. That is huge. That the awareness that this is not a blob, this is not, oh, I'm going into it, I'm sorry, I said we wouldn't go into it. You take it where you would. That's That is incredible. That, that, that will teach Okay, and that will stir the body of Christ to know that life is precious. Right from conception, it is precious. It is God's act. So we'll, we'll save that for another time. Uh, in verse 44, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, uh, the baby in my womb bleed for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary said, and we'll, we'll stop there for just a minute. Here's what I want you to, to, to get a hold of. I, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm doing lots of resources. And I'm going to be honest with you. I borrowed some of this from a guy. He's one of our favorite guys, Matt Chandler. Okay. But it was just too good for me not to borrow a little bit from him. I'm going to give him credit here, though. Here, here to me, is the most amazing thing in, in this whole thing. Who the heck is Elizabeth and Mary? Phenomenal, absolutely amazing women. Well, we know that now. <laughs> We know that now. How about 15 minutes before this verse? Who, who knew of them? Unsung heroes. Not even heroes. Just unsung. I, I mean, we're talking, and, and Matt Chandler, and the reason I wanted to mention him, because he, he makes a comment. This is an age of time where Jewish men, no kidding, they started their prayer by saying, you're shaking your head, you know what's coming. <laughs> Lord, thank you that I am not a Gentile nor a woman. And they did that unashamedly. Now, Doug, you better be careful. <laughs> Doug had this little twinkle in his eye. Can I pray that? It's a biblical example. No, it's not. It's not in Scripture. But that's how they pray. The, the, I, I don't know that we can... Because we, we see Mary already in, in you know, carrying the baby. We see her at the cross. We see her as her life is unfolded. Because we, we just know that. I mean, that's what we've been taught. That's what we... She is no one in the eyes of this world. She is absolutely insignificant. And at the other opposite end of the spectrum from her, in her gender, is Elizabeth, the dried up old woman of a bitter, wife of a bitter priest who is stumbling around now because he can't speak, and I don't believe he could hear perfectly, to be perfectly honest, because later on we find out, we know that the angel said, you're not going to speak, but later on we hear uh, them saying that they had to sign to him to get him to understand the question they were asking, so I'm also believing that probably he could not hear, because why would they sign to him if he, if he could hear? At any rate, do you get the sense? And yet, and yet, let's put them back in historical context. 400 years earlier, God said, and we, we, we shared this a little, a little bit back a few weeks ago in Malachi. He said, you know, he was finally fed up. I'm tired of this religion. 
And that really is, I'm paraphrasing greatly here, but that's really what he's saying in the first chapter of Malachi. I'm tired of your stinking religion, even to the point of saying, would you somebody do me the favor of putting the lock on the door of the temple so no one can go in there and, and, and do this anymore? It, it so disgusts me that I want you to please just lock the door so that I don't have to be offended by your religion any longer. Now that's powerful. And then he was silent for 400 years. Not one word. Not one prophet. Not one thing. Until an angel comes to Zechariah and then later to Mary to deliver the message that you will be used to bring about the most pivotal event in all of earth's history. You two significant, no, insignificant women. Now before we go too far, is this an unusual pattern? I want you to think with me. Let's, let's go through scripture. Let's just kind of think through scripture. Let's talk a little bit about the, the famous men who God used in Scripture, and, and how profound they were, how significant they, they really were. Let's start with um, uh, Abraham. But why did he wait 400 years? Oh, you're on the 400-year thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's his timing, Mike. I, I think it's you know his what? timing. We don't know why he waited. No, we don't. I guess when we go up there, we can ask, but why? Maybe why? he waited for Mary. She's insignificant to us, but she evidently was not insignificant to him. I don't know that. What was he trying to get rid of some generations of things? My little note here. <laughs> I was just, when you said that, the 400 years, it, it took a time for people to turn back to God for personal understanding instead of relying on the priests and the prophets. That's they point. had to start seeking personally. And I think that's why Mary and Elizabeth both had turned. Anyway, go ahead. And the temple was in, in, in uh, the temple system was in, in ruins. I'm sorry about the sun. We need to reorient or get some shades or something, don't we? We'll work on that. Um, the temple system was totally in ruins when, when Jesus came on the scene. So, I mean, there's a lot of... It, it pretty much had failed. In fact, we know that John the Baptist was really counter to the temple system and probably went out in the desert because of that. He was one of those that, that was tired of that. And they, that dead religion didn't mean anything to him. And so he wanted something of life. And it's interesting that the, the message that God gave him was of life, was repentance. You know, which is Yeshua, which means turning back unto God. Turning back to God. But he left religion before he could do that. But I want, I want us to kind of survey and just think, because we tend to make heroes out of these people, particularly out of the Old Testament, that, you know, I'm not sure it's founded. Abraham is a guy that's following his dad around. Pretty much wandering around. When God tells him, I want you to go to Ur, he just really, you know, gets everything going. And he gets as far as, I think, Hebron, where Dad dies. And then he just says, I'm not going any further. And then it took some years later when God said, hey, you know. And God finally made a, a tremendous man out of him. But let's not forget that he took his maidservant, his wife's maidservants, had a child. He made lots of mistakes. Lots of mistakes. How about David? Great King David. How significant was David? when he was chosen by Samuel, through Samuel, by God, uh, to become king of Israel. He, he was so significant that when they got to Jesse's house, they forgot to bring him in because he was out in the fields. He was just a kid, a ruddy little scrunt. And, and so they didn't even think that he could even possibly be a candidate. 
And yet God passed up all the, the big, strong, strapping guys for the little runt David. And the list, the list kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, Moses, phenomenal case. Well, you know, he, he's an out-of-work royalty, which that says a lot about somebody right there, who now is, is tending sheep. And, and don't, don't let anybody kid you in Scripture, just because we see a lot of shepherds, they were not popular people. They smelled bad. Basically, I mean, and I don't mean to defame anybody, but they would be maybe a feedlot rider in our, in our society today. And again, I apologize to feedlot riders. You do a great job. It's an important thing to do. But I know you don't get a lot of respect. And they didn't, they didn't either. And then when the, when the event of Jesus' birth came along, who did the Lord rush his angels to to tell about first? Shepherds. Shepherds. Let's, let's back up then. I'm going to ask you, what does this say to you? What does it say about God and how he sees people? Totally different from us. Our work, his, he doesn't see our action as worth. He looks at our heart as worth. Okay. So it's not what we're doing. Huge difference. It's what, yeah. How do we reflect that? How well do we reflect that same thing? Do we like people of influence? We do. We're naturally drawn to them. Absolutely. Naturally. We like, we like winners. Mm-hmm. Do we like losers? Do we like hanging around drug addicts? Criminals? Homeless people? I mean, are we just, just oh, man, I can't wait to get out of here and go over to the mission and spend some time with the homeless guys. You know? I'm going to make a couple of conclusions here. And they're going to be maybe a little challenging. But I believe them with all my heart. And I'm going to say this. And we can go on. Mary. In fact, let me read Mary's. Then we stopped where Mary's about to, to basically prophesy a song. And I'm just going to, I'm going to read through this. Uh, my, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. His name is holy. Now, now look at these and kind of break these down. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. He, even as he has said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. I mean, it's such a thing. She prophesies this just amazing thing, and then she goes home. <laughs> Life just goes on. But did you capture God's heart in her song? What does he think of the rich? Not a big thing. Not impressed, is he? How about the powerful? Not, not a big thing. And I, I would tell you this. I, I've, I've looked at the life of Jesus after seeing some of this and really scrutinized how he related to people. I will tell you, he, he really didn't give the time today to the rich, rich people, the ruling class of his day. 
an example of it, here's, here's the rich young ruler that comes to him at night. It depends on you know, where you see that. And there may be more than one story, but you know, we know that there was a rich young ruler that came to him and said, you know, what do I need to, to do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, well, keep all the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He said, well, then you need to give everything you have to the poor, and then it'll be great. Well, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus, I've been through EE, evangelism explosion, Wim School, and at least two or three other witnessing. And I would tell you, he just did not, he blew it. He did not give the right answers to this guy. He did not help this guy at all. Okay, now obviously I'm being facetious. I don't know what it was, but in, in him, he just gave this guy the, the, the answer there, and, and he's on his way. He scattered him, literally, by exposing his heart. And, and, and Jesus went off. And yet, when Zacchaeus crawled up in a, in a tree, partially to see Jesus, but I think also partially to be hidden, to stay. He didn't want this, I don't, I don't need this kind of, you think about it, why would you? Here you are selling out your people to the invading army, the occupying army. Why would you want to be recognized a lot by any ruler, by any great teacher, by any prophet who could come up and whack, you know, and, you're, and it's over. So here he is, up huddling his tree, probably peeking through the branches there and, and watching Jesus, and Jesus comes up to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. You and I have an appointment today. You and I have, have business to do today. No simple answers to Zacchaeus. I'm going to your house. We're going to have a relationship with each other. It's profound. It is profound. So here, here's my question. If this reflects the heart of God, and if I want to be Christ-like, this has to be my heart. I have to love the poor. I absolutely have to do it. I have to bring myself in Christ to a place. And I really want to say it that way. I want to say I've got to go with Him. I want to journey with Him to a place where He is at, where His love for the poor and the lost and the lonely is my passion as well. You know, and I, and I know that, you know, there's going to be some that say, well, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm my calling is to the bankers. Okay? <laughs> I relate to them, and, and I, I know that, that I, you know, I believe there's some truth in that. There's, there's truth in that. Absolutely. I don't have a problem. Paul tells us, I'll be anything to anybody for the sake of the gospel. I have no problem with that. But I, I will never accept that if it's just an excuse to not love the poor and not care about the poor. And not care about those that don't have homes. Because that is the absolute heart of God. And it's not this story. It is this story. It is the whole word of God. It is echoed from Genesis to Revelation. I love the poor. Take care of the poor. Take care of the homeless. Take care of the widow. Take care of the orphan. And I don't think we do a great job of that. But he can change us. He can change us. And, and this is what I know. He is changing us. We're, we're a pretty small group here tonight. You know, I would love for it to have been more people. But I, I think it's okay. Because, you know, he changes each heart individually. And if, if, if one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever, I count myself three times. If, if those of us that are gathered here tonight move from where we are tonight, not bad necessarily, but here's recreational Christianity back here somewhere. 
And here's Christ out here. If we could move a little bit that way. And again, I think we, I think we so focus all the time on the big events. I went to this revival, and my life was changed, and I'll never be the same for at least two weeks. You know, I, you know I'm going to abandon it. Again, I think that's recreational Christianity. It, it's about me. I, I want to die a little bit tonight. Just a little bit tonight. That, that's not much about me. So that I can be a little bit more like he is. That's not recreation. That is Christ Christianity. I want that. I want that. And I know he wants that. And I know he deserves that. And so even though we're few, wherever God takes us this week, to Walmart, <laughs> the crazy lady at Walmart. We had tremendous conflict in family this week. Tremendous conflict. You know, and we didn't do everything. Some of what we did was recreational. Some of my responses were very me-focused. I want to live this next 24 hours less me-focused. And learn it. And learn it. I so appreciate your sharing the struggles you've had over the prayer issue. And I so appreciate the teaching. Well, those two come together. I pray for you to have freedom. And I want you to pray for me to have freedom in the areas of bondage that are in my life. Because the truth is we all have them. They're there in every person's life. But my God uses insignificant people all the time to do significant things for his kingdom. And that's what I want to be a part of.